Good morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thou art excellent in all of the earth. And we are grateful to be in the land of the living and in your house, praising your name. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Life as we know it is filled with choices. I'm sure that some of you spent more time than you would have liked this morning trying to decide what to wear. Some of the men in here probably had to choose between either long sleeve or short sleeve shirt, striped or solid pattern, and if you wore a tie, to wear a tie. Or if you're a father, you are probably challenged to wear something that was recently purchased as a celebration gift for Father's Day. Or how about some of the women in the house? Some of us, no matter how far in advance we plan, we can still change our minds at the last minute and the dress too. (laughs) If you had dinner at the college last semester or throughout last year, you were no doubt instantly conscious of the plethora of meal choices. What would your choice have been? A pepperoni pizza with mushrooms perhaps? Or how about fish sticks and fries? Or maybe a veggie wrap with some salad on the side? Not to mention the drink options. Would you have preferred some orange juice or some Canada Dry ginger ale? I struggle most when it comes to choosing ice cream flavors. From St. Lucia, I was sure that my favorite ice cream flavor was rum and raisin. No comments on the rum part. But since coming to Houghton, I get confused every single time I have to choose an ice cream flavor. I have become more adventurous, I must admit. But I mean, how do you choose between blackberry and Rocky Road, or Snickers, or mint chocolate chip, or Oreo cookies and cream flavors. I mean, you can try to mix up the flavors, but how much time and money are you willing to spend? My problem is that there are too many options to choose from. And by the end of the process, I realize that I've spent more time choosing than actually enjoying the ice cream. And I hope that no one had to choose whether to come to church this morning or not at all. At any rate, every single one of our choices will lead to something. But no one is more interested in our choices than God is. And we see this more pointedly in Joshua chapter 24. By the time we get to this last chapter in this book, Joshua is old and about to die. And the Israelites are almost settled in the promised land. In the text, the hero and narrator calls Israel to make a choice. But it's not between ice cream flavors, but of masters. Joshua was a fine warrior and Moses' successor. He valiantly led Israel across the Jordan and into battles in keeping with Moses' command. But the author records the events of the conquest of Canaan to remind the Jews of God's faithfulness in keeping with his promises, demonstrating that obedience to God results in victory. Therefore, the settlement of Israel into this new land is the fulfillment of the very promise that God had made to Abraham from the beginning. Thus, Joshua's call to Israel to gather at Shechem serves as an acknowledgement of their own weakness and a recognition of God's strength and encouragement to follow him. He is also aware of the Israelites' propensity to conform to the behavior of the surrounding nations and tries to dissuade them from these practices. Nearing the end of his farewell message to Israel, he says, Now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. 
He challenges the people to do three things. Fear the Lord, throw away the false gods, and serve the Lord. In the previous verses, 2 to 13, Joshua enumerates the several grounds for national gratitude and then calls Israel into a solemn and decidedly public manner to fear the Lord. He reminds them that God was at work from the beginning, leading Abraham out of the land of Ur, providing him with descendants, leading Israel out of and into and out of slavery, offering a miraculous salvation through the Red Sea, triumphant victories against the enemies, and at last, bringing them into the promised land. And on this basis, Israel was challenged to fear the Lord. The word fear has several meanings in the Bible. In some cases, it means to be terrified as with, with Jonah, or to be in awe as in First Kings, or to have respect as in Leviticus. However, the way in which it is used in this passage, it's as if one has offended the king and punishment is coming. It means to reverence a God of such infinite power, fear to offend him and to forfeit his goodness, to keep up an awe of his majesty, a difference to his authority, a dread of his displeasure, and a continual regard to his all-seeing eye upon you. Therefore, in a real sense, Joshua is igniting a fear of God's discipline against sin among the people. In some religions today, many persons believe that reverencing God is simply an outward action. Some ensure that their women wear no jewelry or that her clothing covers every inch of of their bodies. When I was a child, women were required to cover their heads, especially when leading worship or when preaching. So I would have been in contempt right now. Yet while it is important for our outward appearance to be modest, our hearts must be bent towards God. The second thing Israel was called to do was to throw away false gods. On several occasions, Israel had disobeyed God by following the practices of the surrounding nations. The ancient Egyptians included 28 gods who were each each responsible for various aspects of Egyptian life. And for example, Acre, an earth god, was believed to have guarded the gates of dawn and sunset through which the sun rose every morning and set every evening. The ancient Egyptians placed statues of Acre on the doors of palaces and tombs to ward off evil spirits and malicious entities. Another was Sobek, whose name means he who causes to be fertile. Sobek was the god of crocodiles. Ancient Egyptians who lived in cities that depended on water worshipped him to placate the crocodiles. For instance, the god of Arsinoe would husband crocodiles in pools and adorn them with jewels. The importance of crocodiles to ancient Egyptian culture is demonstrated by the numerous mummified crocs that have been found in tombs. The Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, on the other hand, worshipped over 2,000 gods. Anu, Ea, Enlil, Ishtar, Ashur, Shumaz, Tammuz, Dagon, Sin, Bel, Marduk, just to name a few. Bel was the oldest and mightiest of the gods of Babylonia and one of the earliest trinities. Ea was lord of the world, father of the gods, and lord of the city of Nippur. He was maker of fate, lord of the deep, wisdom, and esoteric knowledge. Both the Egyptians and Chaldeans were required to perform elaborate rituals and sacrifices in order to appease the gods. They lived in fear of the gods, for they were capricious tyrants who were believed to impose harsh agricultural and environmental conditions upon the people if they did not meet certain expectations. But the god of the Israelites was simply one, Yahweh. Unlike the other gods, he alone created heaven and earth and was not made with any material found on earth. He is outside of space and time, yet is personal and seeks 
relationship with mankind. He is a miracle working God. And Israel has witnessed his handiworks many times. The fact that Joshua called Israel to throw away their false gods twice in verse 14 and 23 might be an indication that there were some Israelites who kept these images privately. Perhaps they were passed down from one generation to the next and became heirlooms. And though they may not have worshipped them, Joshua asked them and urged them to destroy them, get them out of their homes, get them out of their thoughts, their desires, their practices. Many of us still have gods today, but they do not look like the gods of the ancients. Yet they do the same things. They draw us further away from the truth. These gods have the same characteristics as those of the ancient gods. They cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot respond to the real needs within the human D.L. Moody said, whatever you love most is your God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. For some of us, it is pleasure or fashion or money. What is the first thing that you do when you wake up on the morning? Do you worry about the problems you may encounter for that day? Or do you worry about the last bill that you received and how you're going to pay it? Or do you obsess about the country's current situation of a recession, which may leave you penniless? Or about the lack of retirement fund? How much time do you spend worrying? Does it take over your thoughts during the day so that you cannot pray? Can worry become a God in our lives? Joshua then calls the people to serve the Lord. He appeals on the basis of his own choice and example. In verse 15, he declares boldly, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serving the Lord in sincerity and truth is an act of internal and external consequence. He demonstrates that when we choose to surrender fully to the Lord, we shape not only our future but our families as well. We are not given the details of his family life, but the author provides us with a summary in verse 31 which says, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. It seems to me that Joshua was able to live out his choice and conviction. The Lord always raises someone up to do his will and causes others to follow. One person can make a difference. The Lord has raised each of us for a particular purpose. And we are all created to bring glory to his name and lead others to do the same. And the people responded. They responded to Joshua in a jubilant chorus. We will serve the Lord. But Joshua knew all too well of Israel's poor track record and that what is often said with the lips is not always true in the heart. Is that also true of our experience today? How would we have responded? Do our actions match up with what we say today? When we live in opposition to how we know we ought to live, the result is hypocrisy and idolatry. If we take a minute to think about all that God has done for us, how should we respond? We too should be willing to say, we will serve the Lord. But what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to surrender oneself to the true and living God. Because in reality, if we do not choose, the default masses have become the God of choice. And just like Israel, we too must respond affirmatively to make the God of Israel's history our Lord and Master. False gods have many faces. And we are challenged to get rid of them. The God of wealth, success, power and prestige, the masks behind which we hide, the personal affairs and convictions that render us powerless and defeated, causing our circumstances to lead us astray, insecurity, fear of failure, 
false security in possessions, ultimately rejecting the one who made all things. At the heart of not serving the Lord is a rebellious spirit. Do we have a God who is wicked and capricious like the gods of the ancients? Our choice should be a no-brainer because of who God is. But herein lies the problem. On our own, we cannot serve God. Since we were born in sin, we have a natural tendency to gravitate towards a sinful nature. But through Christ, we have an opportunity to be restored. And if we so choose, the choice impacts how we live. If I have chosen to follow Christ, it means that as an RD, I treat each student with respect and keep confidential what we have shared. It means that children will obey their parents and are not rude to them. It means that students will be faithful to their coursework. They will study for exams and not cheat. It means that professors will be faithful to the material they teach and judge all students on the same merit. That those who are dating will end relationships that do not glorify God. It means that we open our hearts and our homes and go out of our ways to be hospitable to the stranger and those who are different from us. Choosing to follow the Lord also means to take a stand to do what is right in God's sight, especially when those around us disagree with our points of view. I struggled last year with my own tendency to reject those who believe differently from me when it came to scripture. When I realized that I was discriminating and not loving, I had to repent and ask God to forgive me and help me to love and not make excuses. Sometimes we find it easier to excuse our behavior rather than to confess our sin and seek restoration. I was transformed in such a way that, when I, that I became an advocate against the sin that I had practiced, challenging others to see the error of their own ways. At the heart of choosing to follow the Lord is a call to separate ourselves from rebellious practices that discourage, and discouraging others from, from their own rebellion. Choosing also involves the daily practice of dying to ourselves, our passions, our prides, unforgiveness, faithlessness. Any attitude that competes for lordship in our lives. What are the areas in your lives that cause you to reject God? A cab driver once told this story about his experience. 20 years ago, I drove a cab for a living. When I arrived at 2.30 a.m., the building was dark, except for a single light in a ground floor window. Under these circumstances, Many drivers would just honk once, wait a minute, then drive away. But I had seen too many impoverished people who depended on taxis as their only means of transportation. Unless the situation smelled of danger, I always went to the door. The passenger might be someone who needs my assistance, I reasoned to myself. So I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened. A small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it like somebody out of a late 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived in it for years. All the furniture was covered with sheets. There were no clocks on the walls, no knickknacks, no utensils on the counter. In the corner was a cardboard box filled with photos and glassware. Would you carry my bag out to the car? She said. I took the suitcase to the cab, then turned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly down toward the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. 
It's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the same way I would want my mother to be treated. Oh, you're such a good boy, she said. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address, then asked, could you drive through downtown? It's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to a hospice. I looked in the rearview mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctor says I don't have very long. I quietly reached over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband once lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull up in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she had gone dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow down in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing over the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go. We drove in silence to the address she had given me. It was a low building, like a small convalescent home, with a driveway that passed under a portico. Two orderlies came out to the cab as soon as we pulled up. They were solicitous and intent, watching her every move. They must have been expecting her. I opened the trunk and took a small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you? She asked, reaching into her purse. Nothing, I said. You have to make a living, she answered. There are other passengers, I responded, almost without thinking. I bent and gave her a hug, and she held on to me tightly. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy, she said. Thank you. I squeezed her hand, then walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly, lost in thought. For the rest of the day, I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I had refused to take the run or had honked once, then driven away? On a quick review, I don't think that I would have done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. People may not always remember exactly what you did or what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. It is our choices that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. Human beings are prone to forgetfulness. So Joshua used a stone as a witness between Israel and God to remind them of the vow that they had made to serve the Lord. What will you use as a marker to remind you of the vow you have made to serve the Lord? Remember, God is working daily through our lives to bring us to perfection so that we are not on our own. We were bought with a price, and he has promised that he will never leave nor forsake us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you that you have so loved us that you've given us an opportunity to be reconciled with you. Father, even as we consider the things that you have done for us, we thank you. 
We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Father, where there have been false gods in our lives, we ask that you will forgive us. Help us to throw them away, Father. Help us to clean house by your power, by your spirit, Father. That you will challenge us to live lives that are pleasing in your sight. That we will serve you fully from the heart. We will run after you. We will gravitate to you, Lord God. That our lives will make an impact to those around us. We give you thanks for the gifts that you have given to us. And we pray that your name will be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.